Father, we bow with humility and gratitude before you. We bow in need, O oh God, of your word and your spirit to instill it into our hearts. We believe that your word is absolutely for our minds, but even more so for our hearts, and even more so for us to obey and to walk in. And so we pray that you would, O oh God, speak to us and you alone. We um, worship you for your word. Thank you for this message that you have given to us. And we pray that you would have your own singular way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so many women strive to be a Proverbs woman. And in all actuality, they succeed in doing so. Because the book of Proverbs doesn't depict one singular female character, but many. And so while we strive to be that Proverbs 31 woman, that Proverbs 31 mother, we also want to make sure that we are not the other women in the book of Proverbs. In the book of Proverbs, there is the nagging woman. You don't want to be her. There is the woman who is the adulterous, uh, sexually immoral, and you don't want to be her. There's the woman who tears her own house down with her own hands, just destroys the fabric of her home and family. You don't want to be her. And so there are various kinds of women. But at the end of the book, we get to the kind of woman that you want to be. And that's in Proverbs chapter 31, if you would stand with me for the reading of the Word of God. Proverbs chapter 31, reading verses 1 and 2. I believe that verse 1 is the most overlooked verse in this chapter. Verse 1 says the words of King Lemuel, the oracle which his mother taught him. And then in verse number two, what, O my son, and what, O son of my womb, and what, O son of my vows. And we'll stop there, but I want to thank you for standing to honor the reading of the words 
of our great God and King. What kind of a mother does God want you to be? In verse number one, we see something that is important and something that all too often is overlooked with mothering today. Because verse number one says that these are the words of King Lemuel. And they're not just words, but it's an oracle. In other words, it's a heavy word. It's a place where the messenger is burdened. And so she is having one of the difficult conversations, so to speak. She's having one of those conversations where it is extremely important. It's one of those conversations where it could be so easily misconstrued. And so she is having this conversation with her son, and it's a heavy conversation because the topic is so important. It is heavy because her son is so important. And so this is an oracle, but the king, Lemuel, says his mother taught him. And so uh, this is an admission, it's an illusion, it's an insinuation that I got the message that it was a lesson that was learned. But she is willing to have these difficult conversations. She is willing to build into his life. And that is one of the things that God certainly wants mothers to be able to do, and that is to be able to speak authoritatively into the lives of their children. She understands whose job it is to shape his values, to shape his future. That's not something I want the school district to do. It's not something that I want the babysitter to do. It's not something that I want society to do, that this is my son and I carried him, and it is my job to shape his values, his character, to shape his very future. Now, these are the words of King Lemuel, who is talking about his relationship with his mom, but I'm sure her daughters could have testified that she probably had the same conversations with them about what's important in life. And so we have a generation of moms often now who are sort of mushy and fuzzy on what they think their job is, and they think it's their job to just let their kids choose for themselves, to just let them grow up to be whoever they decide to be. And nothing is further from the truth. The reason that God gave them a mom is so that moms could speak authoritatively into the lives of their children, and so they can have some backbone, so they can be strong as they speak to their children. We need strong moms, and it is heartbreaking, and it is destructive to our society 
to see moms who feel like the kids are in charge and like they can't do anything with these kids and like these kids are going to run all over them and they're fearful and they're weak and there is no backbone as they're supposed to be. But this is a Proverbs 31 woman. This is a woman of God who is strong enough that she can speak authoritatively those tough topics into the lives of their children. Let me tell you, it's an assignment that comes with motherhood, and it's an assignment that you cannot pass off to anybody else. It's my job to speak authoritatively to shape the values, the character, the future of my children. Y'all still with me? Amen. And so she goes to verse number two, and she says, What, O my son, and what, O son of my womb, and what, O son of my vows? And so she is sort of deliberating in her head. She is emotionally and mentally going through some gyrations. She is asking herself, so what is it that I really need to tell you? What is it that I really need you to remember? What is it that I really need to talk to you about? How do I need to shape your future? How do I need to prepare you for temptations and challenges and assignments from God that will come along. What is it that I, that I need you to remember? And then she starts talking about it in verse number three. She says, son, do not give your strength to women. And so she realizes that this is a boy. He has testosterone, and this is something that all the boys are going to have to deal with, and I want my son to be prepared before it comes to that. That I want to tell him in advance that you're building a future, that you are filled with potential, but you can give your whole future away. You can totally miss the life you were supposed to have. And there's so many boys, there's so many young men, there's so many older men who are sidetracked and they are out of the highway and into the ditches of life because they did not handle their desires for the opposite sex appropriately. And they fall into temptation and they fall into just choosing the wrong course through life and it is devastating. And there are just so many men, men in politics, men who are famous in entertainment, in the sports world, and men who are in the church, whose lives have been totally taken off course by the interaction with the opposite sex. And she is saying, son, I don't want that to be your story. I want you to approach the topic of the opposite sex with wisdom, with self-control, and she's just having these, these awkward conversations with her son because she wants him to have a life that is blessed of God. And so she says, do not give your strength to women. 
And then she augments that and she says, or your ways to that which destroys kings. And so what she is saying to him is, son, you can destroy literally your whole future. And she is saying that there are things that destroy even kings. The kings are people who are surrounded by counselors and protectors and people who are supposed to guarantee their success. And she is saying, even if you're a king, even if you're the president, even if you are some high official who is supposed to have your secrets protected and who is supposed to counsel you and make sure you succeed, you will still fail if you make the wrong decisions in life. Is she somebody who's just controlling of her children? Nope. She's somebody who loves her children and wants the best for them. Is she this killjoy who doesn't want her kids to have fun? No, this is somebody who loves her kids and she wants them to have the life that is filled with joy, which is a consequence of making the right decisions. And she's helping him to understand that sometimes we don't go for what we want because there is something bigger that we really want so much more. And so don't gratify yourself for the moment and miss out on the lifetime. Some things will destroy you. And then she gets to verse number four. Most people find this verse really radical. Most people hear this verse and they go, you're going way too far. Here's what verse number four says. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine. And so I hear, you know, this thing all the time about, you know, the Bible say, that doesn't say that drinking wine is a sin, that sort of thing. And I get that. Uh, the Bible uh, refers to drunkenness certainly as a sin. But the Bible just treats drinking as like you're stupid if you do it. That's how the Bible treats alcohol. That's how the Bible treats drinking. And I know that sounds like really radical because everybody drinks and the priests drink and so many preachers drink and, and there are some Christians who seem to have a really good relationship with God who drink alcohol and so what's the big deal? Well, Shashira is saying to her son, it's, it, it, it's, it, it's not a good idea and I want something so much better for you. She says it's not for kings or Lemuel. It's not for those who are somebody. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to desire strong drink. And that little phrase, strong drink, um, you know what that is? It's not whiskey. You know what it is? It's beer. That's what it is. And you're going, well, beer, that's like the light end of things. Um, this strong drink that she is saying to her son, son, I want you to avoid this. It's just beer. I uh, never will forget the story, um, or I should say the experience. I was 
a young boy of about maybe 13 or so. I was at the barbershop. It was a home barbershop. And this lady came to the barbershop and she was obviously drunk and she was wanting money and, and that sort of thing. And the barber said to the to the man, the other man who was there, um, isn't that your wife something to that effect? And he said, she's anybody's wife who will buy her a drink. That's not where it starts. That's just where it ends up for way too many people. And they never know at the front end if they're going to be that person at the back end whose life is just totally devastated because they enjoyed a beer. One thing for sure, if you never take a drink, you can never be an alcoholic. And so she tells her son that, did you know that for most of the people who don't drink, it is because their parents modeled, I don't drink alcohol. I don't think it's wise. I won't have it in my home. I will have nothing to do with it. Generally, their children follow suit. So if the Bible calls beer a strong drink, do we even need to talk about whiskey? Do we even need to talk about other drugs, intoxicants? Or can we just understand from what God does say that in his mind, intoxication is just a really bad idea? And I think that we are all clear as to the function of alcohol and what alcohol does. Alcohol only does one thing. That's how it makes people giddy or braver or whatever it is. It only does one thing in order to do that. Maybe it makes a person feel like they're more of a social butterfly, whatever it is. But there's only one thing that accomplishes whatever effect you're getting from alcohol, and that is it has to poison your brain. It lowers your brain function. That's all that it does. And some people are like, well, <laughs> I'm smart enough not to drink poison. I'm smart enough not to just reduce my mental faculties. Are you serious? To reduce my judgment and my understanding? I'm, I'm smart enough to not do that. And so what does the devil do? Hey, make it strawberry flavored. Put it in a beautiful bottle. When you advertise it, advertise beautiful young people and athletes and famous people and smart people, powerful people who are drinking this stuff and it's going to then sort of normalize it and make you feel like it's okay. And when you advertise, 
don't take them to the graveyards. When you advertise, don't show them the bodies on the highway. When you advertise, don't show them the girls who were molested and assaulted because they were drunk. Don't show them the guy who lost his job. Don't show them the people who ruined their marriages and their families and their incomes. Just tell them that this is really fun. And maybe you'll get past their intellect and maybe they'll do something that's dumb. Why is she telling him not to drink? She tells him the reason in verse number five, for they will drink and forget what is decreed. They'll forget the law. They'll forget what they themselves put into motion. And they'll pervert the rights of all the afflicted. If, there's just, if that is the only consequence that you'll just forget, that's way too big of a consequence that you're going to forget your values, you're going to forget your purpose, you're going to forget the consequences, you're going to forget what it's done to other people. So, are you saying that nobody under any circumstance should ever use alcohol? Well, she has that conversation with him in verse number six. Uh, give strong drink to him who is perishing. If he's on his deathbed, body writhing with pain, um, give him an anesthetic. Says in verse number six, and wine to him whose life is bitter. Um, kind of sounds like a mercy anesthetic. So if you're that kind of a basket case where you've just totally ruined your life and here you are in your last couple days and all you can do is just lie there and it's nothing but a hellish experience, the Bible says, yeah, give them a mercy anesthetic. Are you that kind of a basket case? Some people say, I like the way it makes me feel. Some people say, I like the way that it relaxes me. Some people say, I like the way that it gives me a little bit of courage and confidence. Did you know that all of those things are things that God says, hey, that's my job, and this is idolatry, that you're replacing me with something else to do that for you. It makes me cheerful. And God says, that's my job, to give you joy. And so she's having the conversation with her son. And she talks to him about something else in verse number eight. And that is, open your mouth for the mute, fight for the rights of all the unfortunate. She is saying, son, I want you to have some character. I want you to have some courage. Because people are going to be mistreated. They're going to be treated unfairly. And I want you to have the courage to be able to open your mouth. Well, why would you not do that? Because often the people who are mistreating people are so angry. Often they're so unfair and so uncaring. 
often they're so abrasive and violent and they'll get in your face. And she is saying, son, the day is coming when you're going to have to make a choice to stand up for those who are being treated unfairly or you'll have to be a coward. And here we are. We're in a society now where you either choose courage or cowardice, one side or the other. If you say that you vote for a certain person, mean people are going to come after you. If you say you don't stand up for homosexual rights, mean people are going to come after you. If you say that you stand for the unborn, that it's not okay for a mom to kill her baby, and that it's not a part of her body, it's a totally separate body, it's a totally separate person, a different soul, a different blood type, everything is different. You have the courage to do that? Because there are people who are saying that you're a hater if you say that abortion is wrong. Every time God talks about a child in the womb, God talks about a child in very affectionate ways, that it's his creation. In fact, in the Old Testament, um, if you killed the unborn child, you were certainly held accountable by God. It was not a right. And Christians are being swayed to go in a different direction, and Christians are afraid to speak the truth. And she's saying, son, the day is going to come when you're going to need courage and character. Don't be a coward. And so she has given him the message in verses 1 through 9. But you know what's missing? Giving someone the message, that's just talk. You got to model it. And so that's what she does in verse number 10. She models it. Because she talks to him about the kind of woman that you got to choose when you choose a wife. An excellent wife, who can find? And so he's not saying it doesn't exist, but he is saying you better look hard because they're hard to find and they're kind of rare. An excellent wife, who can find? And he says, for her worth is far above jewels. If you're talking about the things that you want in life, and I know you're going to think about money, but let me tell you, there's something that's a whole lot more important than money. The person you marry is going to be a whole lot more important than how much money you have. You can have all the money in the world and be so miserable, or you can have less and be so joyful and so much of that is going to depend on who you marry. 
It has often been said that it's the mother, it's the wife that sets the tone, the atmosphere in the house. And there's a lot of truth to that. And it says in verse number 11, the heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. This is a woman of such impeccable character that her husband just never questions her. Where's your wife? I don't know. What's she doing? I don't know. Not concerned about it. Wherever she is, I know it's a good place. Whatever she's doing, I know it's good. I trust her heart. I trust her spirit. I trust her intentions. Yep, that's rare. But you see what it says in verse number 12? She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. All the days? Because, you know, we, we're like sinners toward each other, right? Sometimes we offend each other. Sometimes we misunderstand each other. Sometimes we hurt each other. And even on those days when there's a misunderstanding, she still does him nothing but good. Even on those days when she doesn't agree with his decision, she still does him good. Even on the days when he's wrong, he made a mistake, it's a fault, or maybe it wasn't a mistake, maybe it was intentional, she still does him good. That's a godly heart. That's how God is toward us. No matter what we do, he is still loving and kind and still wants the best for us. And the reason he disciplines us is because he's trying to bring us back to that place of maximum blessing. And that's who this woman is. She does him good no matter what because that's her godly heart. In verse number 13, it says she looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. And she just takes care of her family and the needs of her family are her priority. And it doesn't say that she's not a working woman because obviously she is. She is a wholesaler that we see in this chapter and she is a business owner and she's an investor. And so, yeah, she works outside the home, but her priority is her home. That's why it talks first about what she does at home, because that's her focus, that's her priority. And uh, this talks about, this is not a lazy woman. She gets up before it's daylight. When it's night, she doesn't put her lamp out. This is a hard-working woman. She is not lazy, she is not idol. She's not just on Facebook and watching movies and chilling and talking on the phone. She actually has a productive life. And uh, it says that she makes coverings for herself. She takes care of herself. And God wants women to do that. God wants women to keep their attractiveness. God's, God wants women to dress themselves nicely. Um, 
God wants you to be a testimony as to what a woman of God looks like. And it says her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. Who is this woman? She is one who pushes her husband, always pushing him toward excellence. There are some women, they think their job is tear him down, tear him apart. Second guess everything that he does, destroy his self-confidence. There are other women who say, I understand the power that God has given me to help promote my husband. And there are women who do a good job of that. Their husbands are better. Why? Because of them. Talks about she considers a field and buys it and talks about her income. And she uh, has this wholesale that she is investing in another part. And, and she gets a field and she plants a garden and... Uh, this is not a woman who just goes through the family's money and just consumes the family's income. This is a woman who can do more than be a consumer. This is a woman who is a producer, and her family is wealthier because of her good financial sense. Yeah, that's rare. A woman who knows how to manage money. And uh, this is not a weak woman, not a doorstep, not someone, as, someone who says, I can't make it without a leader, come and lead me. No, this is a woman who is a whole person. And when she submits to her husband, it's because that's just her godly heart that is causing her to submit to her husband. But it says in verse number 25 that strength and dignity. This is not a shell of a woman who says, I need somebody to complete me and make me who I am. This is a strong woman. This is a dignified woman. It says, and she smiles at the future. She's not sitting around talking about dark days ahead and all that. Because she, she knows that she's walking with God and that she's working and that she is doing the right things and that God's going to bless her future. In verse number 26, she opens her mouth in wisdom. When she opens her mouth, people listen because... She carries the wisdom of God. And the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She can teach it without beating you up with it. It's teaching of kindness. And then in verse number 27, it talks about her household again because that's our first priority. And in verse number 28, her children rise up and bless her. 
That's not an accidental wording. Her children rise up and bless her. In other words, when they are in their formative years, they don't always appreciate that mom is holding me accountable, that mom won't let me do certain things, won't let me go certain places. But when they get older and they understand, they call her blessed. We don't need our kids to agree with our decisions and to like our parenting. We just need to be good, strong, godly parents, whether our kids are going to call us their friends or not. And those who are friends with their kids, generally it's an issue, generally it's a problem. That line of separation that should be there is kind of blurred. We're not called to be their friends. It says in verse number 29, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Who is thinking about her like that? In the verse before it says her husband. Isn't that something? Isn't that what you want from your husband to say, you know what? There are some really good women out there, but do you know who the best is? <laughs> you are. You are better. You're, you're the best woman I know. I don't know of a single woman who's better than you. That's the blessing of her husband. And so here's what the Bible says to young men in verse number 30. It says, charm is deceitful. Is she acting all sweet? Is she acting all Google eyes and like, Charming you to death. Charm is deceitful. It can be turned on with a switch and turned off with a switch. And it happens all the time that guys are connecting themselves to girls who they think are just the sweetest thing in the world. When I'm counseling couples, I generally ask them, have y'all ever had a fight? Have y'all ever had a real fight? Have y'all ever had a real disagreement? And, oh no, our relationship is so precious that we've never had a disagreement. Go have one because you need to know who you're dealing with. And I give them a whole list of things that are value-oriented and ask them to discuss it and see where they are on those issues so that they can understand who they're dealing with. Charm is deceitful. Anybody can act nice when they're dating and they're not living with you and seeing what a faulty sinner you are. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain. Beauty, um, don't even put it into your calculation. And I don't recommend that you go out and find somebody you think is ugly. Because you got to look at them, right? And you need all the points in your favor that you can get to hold a marriage together. 
And so, yeah, I'm not saying go and marry somebody ugly, but I'm saying don't make your decision based on who's the prettiest. And if you can do that, and sometimes you do get to do that, you're so blessed. One of my coworkers said to me that, um, basically hinting that this, this, this lady likes me, and I wanted my coworker to be very clear on the issue. I said, I was fortunate enough to marry the one woman I want. Um, beauty is vain. Why? Because <laughs> that thing called age, it gets the uh, best of everybody. Remember Arnold Schwarzenegger? Remember him? Yeah, he doesn't look like that anymore. And uh, all these beautiful women they don't look like that anymore. And I get it, some have gotten some really good surgery. I get it. But uh, don't make your decision on beauty. Chances are, it's not gonna last. The church needs good, strong mother figures. Our homes need good, strong mother figures. Our nation will die without good, strong mother figures who are godly and virtuous. And so, dear woman of God, he's challenging you afresh to be this kind of a woman this is your mission. This is your mission. Not to raise famous kids, rich kids, athletic kids. To raise up a godly generation. I don't care what else God does with my kids. If he'll just answer this one prayer of mine. God, let them love you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and their neighbor as themselves. That's all that I desire of God. And he's calling you afresh. You're not done yet. My kids are 50, and you still have influence. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would accomplish your work in our hearts and minds and lives. We're living in a world that is ever darkening every day. We're living in a nation that is unraveling. We're living in a society that is altogether forgetting God. We pray that you would help us to be salt and light, to be a part of preserving this society from judgment for just one more generation. 
we ask that you would help us to prioritize our lives and to focus on our purpose, that you would help us to serve the cause of the Almighty. We thank you for motherhood and for the love that it represents and for the side of God that is so hard to understand. That thing called grace, where you never stop loving, never stop caring. And you've allowed that to be exemplified through the love of mothers. And so we thank you and we lift every mom up before you and we ask, dear God, that you would bless them and give them joy. May their children always bring them rejoicing. We pray that you would allow them to complete their days in fulfillment, looking at the next generation and saying, the world is going to be okay. Bless us in our walk. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we'll be standing and singing and uh,